Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. It's such a joy to have you here. And I've been thinking more and more about the point I made to you before about the importance of fitting your mind, your experience, your emotions, your your energy field with positive inputs. It's so powerful to make choices that really support your health, your well-being, your equanimity. And just today, actually, I began re-listening to a book I listened to on audio tape a long time ago on audio. And I, I realized that I'd rather listen to something that I know is going to uplift me than some random thing I'm not quite sure about. <laughs> you know, you want to pick things you really know are going to do good for your mental, emotional, spiritual health. And so pick things, choose things, choose shows like High Energy Health, bookmark our show, come here regularly, choose to fill your experience with positive media. There's so many random things that we can listen to, like our, our friends will tell us about music, we'll hear about TV, radio shows that might be intriguing. And yet a big question is, how does this advance my spiritual practice? How does it advance my personal transformation? How does this move me more to the peaceful state I'd like to have as my norm? And so filter, filter your choices, your choices of people, your choices of things to read, your choices of things to consume with that standard and give yourself the gift of making your life full of healthy, loving, kind, compassionate, wise choices that really support you having the life you'd like to have. So I'm glad you're here. I'd encourage you to come back week after week. We have some really wonderful hosts and guests who are now on the, the show. And we're doing a whole series of interviews over the course of the next couple of years that you're going to find thought-provoking, intriguing on a wide range of topics, highly relevant to every person's spiritual growth from solving the underlying problem of childhood trauma, of moving past those things that hold you back to reaching peak states, whether you're moving to those peak states through, through flow or through meditation to reaching transcendent states. And how do you get there? What keeps you there? How do you trigger those states of mind deliberately? It's powerful to fill your mind with those types of information and then practice those states on a regular basis, not just accidentally, occasionally make them the way you experience your life. So thank you for being here. By being here with us today for our conversation on high energy health, you made a ringing declaration for your own well-being, and I applaud you for taking that step. My guest today is Mark Lesser. Mark is a speaker, facilitator, workshop leader, and executive coach. He is the author of four books, including Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, and also his most recent book, Finding Clarity. He is also the CEO of ZBA Associates, an executive development and leadership consulting company, and is also the former director of the Tassajara 
Zen Mountain Center, the oldest Zen monastery in the Western world. He lives in Marin County, California, and leads the Mill Valley Zen Weekly Meditation Group. You can find out more about his work, his books, his offerings at his website, marklesser.net. And that's Mark with a C, M-A-R-C, lesser.net, marklesser.net. Mark, it's a joy to have you back here. Welcome. Dawson, it's a joy to be back here. Thanks for the introduction. So one question that always intrigues me is this new book, Finding Clarity. What led you to decide to move in this direction? After all, you've written previous leadership books and you've written about similar themes in the past. What drew you to this this new theme? You know, I was working with a group of consultants and somehow the term uh, compassionate accountability arose. And I really was drawn to that. And then I began working, doing some work with a, a socially responsible bank of all things. And, and I mentioned this phrase, compassionate accountability, and they completely adopted it as the kind of culture that they wanted. They wanted one highly effective, highly accountable, lots of clarity, lots of commitment, combined with trust and care, and even love and compassion. And, and Throughout that work, I could see that a, um, a program and a methodology was developing. And that's how the book, in a way, is the, the methodology that I developed in working with this client and then several clients about shifting culture. And also I realized that it actually had enormous applications, not only in our work cultures, but in all our important relationships, that our relationships are all about this combination of what I think of as alignment and accountability and compassion integrated. It's so powerful to see that as something common to all our relationships, as I just said, not just to some of them. And we've been in the habit of thinking that we have one set of values for friends and family, <laughs> quite another for money, finance, and work. And often the two are just totally separate in people's minds. And it's challenging for them to think about their values being consistent throughout all their endeavors. So go and share with us more about the importance of bringing this kind of uh, value system to everything we do, including business and how you can do this in a business because people aren't used to thinking of their business as a place to apply the same values perhaps they apply in their spiritual life or the meditation practice or their, their spiritual community. Yeah, I would say that every part of our life is an opportunity opportunity to develop our own character and also to help develop the character of others, to be someone who is there to support, coach, mentor others. You know, there definitely are differences, right? There are different challenges and opportunities in our personal lives and family lives in our work lives. And that's super interesting, right? In our, But in all those places, we have particular roles. But Underneath it all, and I think this is what you were saying, is that our deepest way of being, our values, and that there's lots of interesting, I think, useful ways that we can practice with self-awareness and practice with character building in our families that will spill over into our work lives and the same in our work lives. Things, things like, how do we do with conflict, for example? Like, how, do, how, how are we in managing and skillfully working with conflict? There, there's a lot of similarity in our personal uh, conflicts as there might be in our work conflicts. Even though the, there are contextual differences, there's a tremendous amount of overlap and learning that can happen. Now, one thing you talk about in the book is the importance of telling the truth and being fearless about that. And I have to say, that's definitely a challenge for me. And some parts of what you said in the book 
look, I personally found challenging. Others seem really easy. I mean, in, in our team, we have a lot of fun. It's kind of a joyful family energy and we bring new people in and they quickly realize, oh, these aren't stodgy meetings. These are more like, you know, stand-up comedy as we all share our what's going on in our, our individual part of the enterprise. But then when there's something, say, that, that somebody is really screwed up, being able to um, just directly address that is, is something I know in, in our team we haven't mastered. So how do you lean into that kind of practice if you aren't, it's not part of your company culture? Yeah, this is, I think there's a phrase that's getting used a lot these days, uh, psychological safety. And psychological safety means that we, that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to mess up, that it's okay to fess up to this project didn't go well. This was late. I screwed up here. This is a core part of creating a psychologically safe uh, relationships and, and environment. And it starts with self-awareness. It starts with being aware of our own reactions, especially when we're, when we feel threatened or hurt in, in any way. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the word truth, right? So, you know, we, <laughs> it's more, I think, about um, being truthful around our own experience and being curious about other people's experiences, right? And um, no one can argue with how we're feeling and what our own experience is. Now, once we hear someone else's experience, we might you know, we might find that there's something to learn and we might change our particular perspective once we open up to, we don't, no one owns the truth, you know, but we can learn a lot by uh, being curious about feelings and experiences of others. Yeah, one thing I found really useful uh, running both a organization and also a nonprofit is to engage people as though I were just curious about things, especially things that aren't going well, and asking questions and seeing what their perspective is, listening to them, and then acting more like a coach rather than a top-down CEO. And it's so interesting that you'll find people often come up with their own solutions if you take that curious approach rather than trying to mandate things they should do in order to improve processes. So yeah, that that's it may seem like stepping back from power and yet it actually is really empowering to the whole team, I found. Yeah, no, this is, it takes some confidence and humility, I think, to be able to do that, to be able to do that well you know, that to empower and trust others. I'm, I'm reminded of my last organization where I was CEO, I decided to implement an open vacation policy, right? That we were not going to track vacation days. We were not going to track days off. And I have to say, I was clear I wanted to do that. And at first I started to feel like, oh, am I going to be taken advantage of? But what happened is that giving people that kind of empowerment increased their commitment, their creativity, their own, like wonderful things started to happen out of that. And it became also clear that I didn't really care how much people worked. What I cared about was results and what got what actually got done. And if and that was also a really interesting shift to be less concerned about how much time anyone was putting in, but to be more concerned about what did success look like and what were we really trying to accomplish and to, to focus more there. Absolutely. And that's that's what really counts, not how many physical hours you put in. And you also use analogies. And some of the most intriguing ones are of looking at the analogies you bring in with Homer Simpson, with Alice in Wonderland, the Buddha. Explain what you, uh, how you use those. Yeah, well, 
you know, it was actually one of the things that I love about writing, I have to say, was I was surprised when a, a Homer Simpson appeared, especially, you know, and this was in part as I was struggling in my own writing, was his his famous proclamation, why does everything have to be so hard? And and it kind of put me in touch with what I call my inner Homer or my inner critic or my, <laughs> inner, my, my, my inner victim. I mean, Homer, I started... I started referring to Homer as the accountability expert because he we want to do pretty much exactly whatever is what Homer isn't doing because he's always always blaming, always making other people responsible, getting out of things. And you know, in certain ways we all might have uh, tendencies toward toward that toward that end. And then from there I realized, well, it was the historical Buddha who actually had the answer for well, why is everything hard? And he had to say it was because of our relationship with reality, because of our tendency to push things away or pull things toward us, as opposed to being able to see more clearly, being able to live with more calm and equanimity. And and his profound teachings about transforming difficulty and pain into more acceptance and freedom. And then Alice in Wonderland appeared as a the practitioner. What what do you actually do? And she recommends, you know, be curiouser and curiouser. Bring bring real curiosity into what you're feeling, what you're seeing, what your approach is. And I began to realize these three people had a, a place throughout my writing and teaching about accountability and compassion. Yeah. And I know as a science writer, I struggle with analogies. I try and find ways of explaining things to people. And the more you can put them in the framework of popular characters, popular culture, the easier it is to, to do. So go ahead and share a bit of your own personal movement from being something as as removed from business and consulting and coaching as being a, at the Tassajara Zen Center and then becoming the director of that and then moving into the work you do now. That's a really interesting trajectory. And I'm just curious as to what brought you to Tassajara and then moved you into the next phase of your life and growth. Yeah. You know, well, I was... Um... I was a college student, you know, in late teens, early 20s, uh, back at Rutgers in New Jersey. And I started to develop some real passion around existentialism, humanistic psychology, and then reading about Zen. And, and I, I didn't want to read about it. I wanted to do it. I took a one-year leave of absence from Rutgers and came uh, to the West Coast. And once I discovered the San Francisco Zen Center, I completely fell in love with the the daily discipline of a meditation practice, a community of people wanting to practice together, a lot of Ivy League dropouts, so really interesting, smart people at that time. But contrary to what you were just saying, Dawson, what was interesting was I kept being asked to take on leadership roles within the Zen Center, and especially at Tassajara, which actually is a traditional you know, Zen monastery in the winter, but then in the summer uh, opens up and becomes a conference center, workshop center, and is, has all of the problems and opportunities of any small business with you know, 70 or 80 overnight guests every night, you know, feeding them, doing ongoing trainings. And I, I woke up one morning and realized, even though I thought of myself 
as a Zen student that I was actually running a business and that I was practicing leadership. And it also dawned on me that there was not only was there no contradiction about mindfulness practice or Zen practice and leadership, but they, they seemed to go together really, really well. And I wondered, why wasn't everyone doing this? And, and it kind of set the course of my life that I wanted to work and explore that, you know, doing business and doing work in a very different way and decided that I need some more business training, went to business school. And then uh, shortly out of business school, I started my first company. I started a publishing company that was making things like uh, calendars and greeting cards and journals out of recycled paper. And we were also licensing uh, the words of like the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh and Poetry of Rumi. So it was very much integrating all of these things about spiritual practice, business practice, and uh, my first uh, foray into trying to actually run a business integrating mindful leadership. And it was a was a great, great learning experience. And following that experience is when I got a call from Google asking if I was interested and in coming there and helping to develop mindfulness, emotional intelligence leadership programs. And that was also uh, very transformative, that experience that I had of years of uh, being up in front of Google engineers and teaching mindfulness, emotional intelligence and leadership. That is a remarkable shift that it wasn't you pressing for it at Google. It was Google recognizing you needed to bring that into their, their company and into their business and inviting someone like you in to bring that to the workplace and make it part of the way they operate it. So that's a really big shift that's happened now. That's the integration of values in a really practical way. So it's not as though just human beings individually are looking at integrating their values, and making them consistent throughout all of their endeavors. It's also organizations are looking at that now and seeing how they can bring all that together. We're going to go to a break right now. We'll be back afterwards for more on Mark's work. Go to his website, marklesser.net. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm grateful you're supporting your well-being and your happiness by tuning into our show, Make It Part of Every Week. For more on Mark Lesser's work, go ahead and check out his website. It's marklesser.net. That's M-A-R-C, M-A-R-C, marklesser.net. For more on my new book, which is called Bliss Brain, go to the website blissbrain.com. There you can download seven free meditations as well as get a free copy of the book. And those meditations now in an MRI study have been shown to literally change the way your brain is structured within 30 days. So we know that this works, we know it's effective, and you can get those meditations free at blissbrain.com along with your free copy of the book Bliss Brain. And again, for more on Mark's new book, Finding Clarity, you can pick that up. It's being published now and also go to his website, marklesser.net. Mark, back to the idea of compassion and also facing up to our pitfalls, our 
issues, the problems we have in business and handling those passionately. Say somebody does something on a project that really has a big impact. I mean, I, I've had people uh, in organizations I've been involved with where, where one person does something and actually can threaten the, of the whole organization and the livelihood of dozens of people. And then maybe they're defensive, maybe they aren't willing to face up to the consequences of their actions, and they're going through a hard time personally as well. And of course, compassion, you'd want to be compassionate toward their plight. On the other hand, their actions are having this huge impact on uh, a whole system and maybe a whole ecosystem of people and enterprises. So what? Do you, how do you handle that kind of a difficulty? Yeah. Well, it, it certainly helps when there's some awareness. I was thinking of a call I got years ago from a CEO of a 2000 person organization who realized that he needed some help, that, that everyone around him was in fear of him. He had a way of being that he was, you know, quick to anger, quick to correct people. And, and that wasn't what he wanted. He realized he had what I would think of as a habit energy that he wanted to change. And uh, I can remember, you know, going in and working with him and helping him with his own, become more aware of his own pattern. And also working with the people who worked around him, who all told me that every day they were afraid they were going to get fired, right? That they, that, and this is not that uncommon in organizations because, you know, there are hierarchies and there is a certain power that CEOs or that leaders have the power to hire and fire is a tremendous amount of power in, in organizations. And I remember having a having a meeting with this CEO and his team, and I stood up and put my arm around the CEO and said, I know he's very scary, but he doesn't want to be. He really wants to support all of you, and he needs you all to speak more directly and to let him know how you're feeling. And it was actually um, amazingly transformative, you know, that being able to, for the CEO to be willing to do that and make himself vulnerable and basically ask people, I want, I don't want to be this, this scary top-down person. I need you to feel your own power. I need you to challenge me. I need you to let me know more how you're feeling. And that was a, that was kind of a, a wonderful experience that I had in being able to work with this person and his team. This is a kind of, you know, intervention that in this case, I think needed someone from the outside to come in and help. It can be, I recognize it can be a lot harder for someone, you know, who's on that kind of a person's team to cause that kind of change with, this is why sometimes it's helpful to have people from the outside come in to help with that kind of uh, reinvention and change of cultures. How did that turn out? You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, I didn't have a magic wand, but it actually turned out really well. Again, this was exceptional, I think, in that the CEO recognized his own harsh way of being, his judgmental way of being, and wanted to change. That helped a lot. And that the team wanted to work in a much more open, compassionate kind of environment. Yeah, and they it worked really, really well. You know, they became, I think, certainly both, I would say in this case, the well-being of this group increased dramatically. And I think they felt much, much more effective in that each person on this team felt like they could contribute their own ideas in a way that they hadn't felt that previously. Yeah, and that again, when a corporate culture or group culture of any kind starts to shift a little bit like that, often it has 
has a cumulative effect and suddenly the whole company culture changes. People feel they can speak up. People then become much more creative and productive. And so it has a very healthy effect on the enterprise as a whole. So yeah, powerful to do that. And then and the scary boss is no longer somebody who's inhibiting your expression and your ability to be who you are at work. So mm -hmm. that would make a difference. It's interesting. I've worked with a few people who had that similar kind of personality where you know they think they're questioning someone, but the person's experience is that they're being interrogated. Interesting distinction between right one person's experience of wanting to find out more, but doing it in a way that that somehow is demeaning as opposed to empowering. So it's interesting, something to be you know careful of when especially when we're someone in power but also if we're someone who is being interrogated to somehow be able to skillfully work with that conflict and your own experience and find a way for greater alignment there and you can also this harks back to what you were saying earlier about the ability to see things from another point, person's point of view. So you might think you're asking questions or you're just asking about performance and they may perceive it as being being interrogated or having their feet held to the fire. And so the ability to step into another person's shoes and actually see things from their perspective is powerful because then you aren't just lost in your own experience, you're extending your sense of of the reality field to the experience of someone else as well. The old the old Native American saying that don't judge a person until you've walked a mile in his or her moccasins. And so you're able to project yourself to that person and suddenly you've enriched your experience with that other worldview as well, imperfect though it may be, which you can then check against reality and then have that, that feedback loop. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's very powerful to do that. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be back in a few moments with more on finding clarity back in just a few. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and every week on the show, I bring you all kinds of valuable, interesting, and powerfully transformative ideas and people. So make high energy health a habit. Make it part of your life. Bookmark this page. We have remarkable lineup of hosts and guests coming up over the next few months. And I know what they are, and I know you won't want to miss them. So please do bookmark the page and come back and make this part of your regular well-being. For more on Mark's work, go to his website, marklesser.net. And his new book is called Finding Clarity. Mark, one of the features of life and working with other people, especially in teams or communities, is those difficult people. There are people we find difficult. So on any given team, there'll be people you find easier and flow around them. Everything seems to go smoothly when you're in those relationships and, mm -hmm. and you're collaborating on tasks with those people. And then there are those people who are just the opposite. And it's just maddening and frustrating. And often you get triggered really soon after you start interacting with them. What do you do? How do you handle those people? Well, you kind of gave it away 
way, in two lines, he said, there are difficult people and there are people we find difficult. This is an enormous distinction, right? Sometimes when I'm teaching a workshop, someone will raise their hand and ask, well, how do you deal with difficult people? And as I'm often looking at them and thinking, oh, you mean like you? Because in some way, I think it's useful to recognize that we're all difficult people to someone, right? <laughs> that, you know, even if like if we're driving our car, someone who's wants to drive really fast and can't get by us we become a difficult person for that person now of course there are i would say you know there are people who i think of as stress makers or toxic people there are really difficult people but those are really the exception i think what we really where it's most useful to talk about i think is the the day-to-day -day difficult people the experience that we have there's an interesting rule of thumb about this which is that we judge other people by the impact their words and intentions have on us. We judge ourselves by our intentions, right? So we're all good people. We all mean well, but as soon as someone else's words or actions hurt us or threaten us in other way, we immediately label them as a difficult person or as a bad person. You know, this is this is actually why, you know, kind of why I called the book Finding Clarity, because it takes a certain kind of clarity to not do that, to not go right from the impact that someone's words are, is having on us right to blame. You know, this is called the retribution, or if I have this, I'm not sure if I have this word right. I know there's a name for this. It's so common. It's so common that we go almost unconsciously right to blame anytime we're hurt. Yeah, so this is uh, anytime I think that we're feeling a sense of pain or blame or hurt. This is a great time to be curious about our own energy, our own habit, our own the filter that we might be seeing the world through. I know it can be hard, but to see what what is happening here, is this reminiscent of some old patterns, some childhood pattern? What you know, what is it that I'm doing? What's my what is my contribution to this difficult relationship that I'm having? Yeah. And of course that empowers you because then it's when you look at your own contribution, it's what I can do. It's not what the other person has to do to fix this. So it immediately empowers you while well disempowering you to see things from that perspective. Totally. Yes. We're not like a leaf blowing in the wind when it comes to, it can feel that way. We can, you know, the feeling of it can be so strong that we don't realize that we actually have some role, some choice. And, and in some way, I think this is the real power of having a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice. I think it takes that uh, being able to, taking the time to step out of the stream of our lives to develop the ability to not be hooked and caught by these difficult situations, by when we are triggered by what we think of as a difficult people. How does that happen? How does that mindfulness or meditation practice help you not get hooked? Yeah, so to me, the practice of meditation is with with every breath to not associate with the story of our own ego and to be noticing how it starts by, I think, seeing how self-referential everything is. And anytime a thought or emotion arises, to not get hooked by it, to let that thought or emotion come and let that thought or emotion go, to notice the habit energy of 
wanting to escape, to not wanting to be there, the habit energy of always expecting something or wanting something. So it's this practice of again and again, creating a bit of space, creating a bit of space within our thoughts, creating a bit of space within our emotional lives, seeing how much we create stories right? That an emotion arises, we almost automatically create some story around it. I was having a conversation with someone recently who told me he was at a party and he's someone who has a lot of trouble with being at a party and there being a lot of noise. And this party got very, very noisy and he felt betrayed. He used the language, I felt betrayed because people didn't realize that I have a lot of trouble with noise. And I was like, man, they were just having a good time. I don't think anyone was trying to betray you. You know, you see that you were weaving a story here, right? You got, you felt anxious, people were talking and you built this whole story of betrayal around the situation. And in some way, we all do that, you know, maybe not that blatantly, but we all, we're such a, brilliant storytellers. Yeah. And we believe our own stories, we get hooked up in them, we then reinforce them, and it becomes harder and harder to see the reality all around us because we're so involved in the content of those old stories. That's a really powerful practice. And I can see how just that daily meditation would make it much more likely that you can find that place in yourself when you're either confronted by your own story, or you're confronted by the story of someone around you to remember that still place in which you can not be all wrapped up in the story. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be back shortly for more from Mark Lesser, more on finding clarity, more on high energy health. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. It is such a joy to think about the topics that we talked about today, about bringing your values into your work, how to be curious, how to have compassion and accountability. We have both compassion and accountability to be able to deal with difficult people, deal with difficult conversations and the values you bring to those conversations like that curiosity as well. So I'm so glad you stimulated your own mind and heart. And I'm, I'm sure you've been thinking about how you handle your work and what you do in the world as you've, as you've been following these threads and following the discussion. Again, please make it part of your weekly practice to tune into High Energy Health and also check out Mark's work at his website, marklesser.net, as well as his new book, Finding Clarity. For more on my latest book, Bliss Brain, go to blissbrain.com to get a free copy, a free hard copy of the book, as well as seven free meditations that will help you feel better. And also MRI research shows produce an effect on your brain very, very quickly. That's on blissbrain.com. So Mark, at the end of Finding Clarity, you have the call to action to us to not wait. What's that, what's that all about? Yeah, there's a few practices there. One, I think, is a, a simple but really useful practice in all of our relationships, which is whatever it is you are wanting from another person, you want, you want more attention, you want more appreciation, whatever it is, you go first. 
don't wait for them to come and give you what you're needing. And it, it's something that I find through my own experience and through coaching and mentoring others, it's really powerful, right? That, that our tendency is, you know, we feel something lacking or missing in relationship. We, we, it's easy to hold back and, and wait for this other person to give us what we want. And instead, you know, try expressing a bit more appreciation, try giving another person more attention. It's so simple, but yet uh, powerful. Just to interject there as well, yeah. it works great in a marriage. <laughs> it worked it does it it's a it's crucial in our marriages um but i would say it works really well at work you know with our colleagues who because we all want we all want recognition we all want to be appreciated we want to be seen so this this practice of of giving the other person what it is where you know we're feeling some lack of is um a quite effective and the other thing that the other thing that comes up for me in this practice of don't wait is you know life is short realizing that there's something profound about the fact that we humans are as far as we know the only species to know to be aware of that we will lose everything we will lose everyone and that this not only doesn't this need to be depressing or morbid, it should be a call to action to make this day matter, make this action matter, to be, I, 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 there's the practice of wholeheartedness, to be wholehearted. And that starts with recognizing any place where you're feeling a gap in wholeheartedness, a don't wait to take some action. Uh, you know, if you find that you're going into your work and you're not enjoying it, ask the question, what can I do? What can I do to bring more sense of joy and appreciation into my work, into my marriage, into any of my relationships, into any part of my life, uh, to be that wholeheartedness and living fully? We don't need to wait for those things. Absolutely. And there are some great books too, Mark, on the regrets of the dying. And so interesting to listen to hospice doctors and hospice workers and volunteers on what pe dying people regret. So these are people who are in hospice, they're in their last few days, weeks or months, and then it's like what they wish they had done differently. And their answers are rarely things like, I wish I'd answered every last email. <laughs> they're more like, I wish I'd told my dad I loved him before he died. I wish I'd put more time and energy into my kids rather than being so distracted by my own issues when they were little. They, they're, they're always about th those kinds of regrets. So don't regret, take action right now. Yeah. Yeah. As, you, as you're saying, the message there is what really matters is our relationships to and to create relationships that are high in compassion and accountability is something that will serve us really well uh, in all parts of our lives. Just in the last two minutes, which areas of your life, your personal life, are you focusing on doing that more in right now? Well, right now I am doing that as I have two young grandchildren my somehow my daughter grew up and had to <laughs> it uh, happens <laughs> yeah yeah and there's something you know you you hear a lot about you know the people talk a lot about how amazing grandparenting is and this is one of those experiences for me that it's more amazing than even i thought it was going to be and what a great privilege and joy to be in the lives of these uh 
these uh, young people and being able to just be there for them, to love them, support them, and be able to go home at night. You know, it's it's the best of all possible worlds. But I have to say it, whenever I'm with my grandchildren, I can't help but think, I wonder how much of this person's life I will be alive for. And it, it raises the stakes and my energy of uh, to be with them fully and to be in my life fully. It's a great reminder. It certainly is. So there's always something for us, whether it's parenthood, grandparenthood, our work, whatever it might be. And life is full of those reminders. Thank you so much for giving us so many of these in your work and your books. I so appreciate what you're doing, how you're bringing this into the workplace and how you're reminding us to be mindful in every single part of our lives. Every blessing. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. And please come back again next week for more on high energy health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. Till then, be healthy, be happy, Fill your whole mind, heart, body with the love, with the compassion, with the great energy that you deserve. As you can see, there's lots of love here for you on the show and in the universe. Just open yourself to it and receive. Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. 